Welcome in to the 48 Minutes Podcast on Believe, presented by Bet Online. I'm Ross Geiger, joined alongside Bruce Bernstein of Pure Hoops Media and World B, Michael Freer. This is episode number 90, the Drew Gooden episode, as the former fourth overall pick in the 2002 NBA draft routinely wore number 90 throughout his career and did so with six different NBA teams, the Cavaliers, the Bulls, the Kings, the Spurs, the Mavs, and the Wizards. Before we get to our opening tips, just a quick reminder, Bet Online continues to be your number one source for all your basketball wagering needs, including pro and college hoops throughout the year. With up-to-the-minute odds, stats, and trends, you can follow your favorite team's path to the playoffs with in-game live betting, contests, and all the best player props. Experience the world's best wagering platform anytime from your desktop or your mobile device. Head to Bet Online today to become part of the team, and remember to use our promo code BLEAV, that is B-L-E-A-V, for your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet Online, the game starts here. And tonight, Bruce, I'll start with you to get us set up with opening tip. All right. Thanks, Ross. The Kurt Gowdy Media Award is an annual award given by the Basketball Hall of Fame to outstanding basketball writers and broadcasters. Over the weekend, we learned that this year's recipient in the writers category is one of my dearest friends in the basketball family, J.A. Adande. J.A. covered the league for years at the L.A. Times and the Washington Post before joining ESPN in 2007. We worked together for 10 years and did many shows together. Probably the most memorable was during Kobe Bryant's final season when J.A. interviewed Kobe for our NBA Coast to Coast show. J.A. and Kobe knew each other for many years, and Kobe told J.A. years before that the reason he had such great knowledge of basketball history was that his grandfather used to send him VHS tapes when he was growing up in Italy, where his father, Joe Jellybean Bryant, was playing professionally. The name of Kobe's favorite tape was Golden Greats of Basketball. So J.A. tracked down a copy of the tape on eBay, and at the end of the interview, he handed Kobe the tape as a thank you gift for all of his years of being, you know, great to deal with and cooperative and all that. And the look on Kobe's face made it really clear that he was touched by the gesture. J.A. was always very thoughtful and was a tremendous teammate who made every show we did together better. J.A. is now the head of the sports journalism department at Northwestern University, where his students can now say they're learning from one of the all-time greats in journalism. Congratulations, J.A., for taking your rightful place among the legends of NBA journalists. Well said there, Bruce. Yeah, big congratulations to J.A. I remember him on Around the Horn growing up and definitely loved his comments and work on that as well. World B. Thank you, Ross. This year's All-Star Game has come and gone, and the game itself received plenty of criticism, which we'll address in the show. But there was a moment over the weekend that was a highlight of the entire festivities for me. Laker legend LeBron James held a press conference on Sunday prior to the game. He addressed a number of issues about himself, the team, and the future. But when it came time for one last question, Jeff Zilgit, a longtime NBA reporter for USA Today, was given the honor of the last question. And the human side of King James came out in an instant. Zilga has been through a lot in recent years, specifically a battle with cancer. And when James recognized who was asking the final question, he was quick to announce and acknowledge a man who no doubt spent a lot of time with James covering the superstar. James went out of his way to mention how happy he was to see the reporter in the room, how much he loved his presence in the press conference. 
I don't even remember what the final question was or what James had for an answer, but it was still the best thing I saw all weekend. Yeah, that was a pretty incredible moment there. Awesome stuff there, and I'm glad that you decided to highlight that because I think that's important to bring out the human element between the media and the players, especially someone uh, as the stature of LeBron James. So well done there, King James. As for my opening tip, heading into All-Star break, the Bucks ended with a very poor 3-7 and seven record in their first 10 games under the direction of Doc Rivers as the new head coach which was capped off with a terrible road loss in Memphis last Thursday night. Not too surprisingly, the Bucks' woes continued, as did Damian Lillard's performance in that game, as he went 7 of 21 from the field, which included 3 of 13 from downtown. While Dame is averaging 24 points per game on the year and scored 24 that night against the Grizzlies to meet that average in Thursday's road loss, it's safe to say that the first half of the season for the Bucks and for Dame has been less than encouraging. Entering All-Star Weekend, I legitimately legitimately asked myself whether or not a successful weekend for Dame in the three-point shootout and All-Star game would be looked at more so as an encouraging sign or just a complete tease to Bucks fans. Of course, Dame went on to defend his three-point contest title, becoming a back-to-back winner of the event, and even ended up being crowned MVP of the All-Star game itself. More on that later. In most cases, I'd easily chalk up all of Dame's success this past weekend as a great thing. But if I'm being honest, there's a part of me wondering if this might just be another tease, causing more pressure, attention, and frustration should Dame's performance return to norm uh, of the season in Milwaukee. I absolutely hope I'm dead wrong having to having these gut hesitations. And, uh, you know, the success this past weekend in Indiana is a promising sign for what's to come. But sorry, Dame, now 51 games into your Bucks tenure, you're going to have to prove to me and many other, many others in Bucks Nation otherwise. So uh, looking forward to chatting about that. But before we get to that, fellas, we had some breaking news uh, earlier this afternoon as there is a coaching change happening in Brooklyn. And Jock Vaughn was fired as the head coach of the Brooklyn Nets on Monday with the team 21-33 and 33 on the season and coming off their worst loss of the season last Wednesday on the road in Boston losing 86 to 136 against Bruce's Celtics. So, Bruce, I'll start with you. Um, immediate reactions of the news, and are you surprised that they made this move before the start of the second half? It seems to me that general manager Sean Marks is more of a problem than Jacques Vaughn or any of the other previous coaches who have been hired and fired over the time that he's been there. The Steve Nash hiring was a big mistake as the players, especially Kyrie Irving, never accepted him. In his seven seasons, seven plus seasons as the sole general manager of the team, they're 42 games below 500 uh, in spite of acquiring three future Hall of Fame guys. His acquisition and eventual trading away of the big three of James Harden, Kyrie Irving, and Kevin Durant robbed the team of any continuity as there was a revolving door of players and draft assets coming to and from Brooklyn. And the Harden acquisition in January of 21 was a part of a four-team trade that was particularly costly. They gave up Jared Allen, who's a borderline all-star and I think should have been named as a replacement, Torian Prince, who's now, I believe, with the Lakers, and seven first-round draft picks in addition to a little-used guy named Rodion's Kurix. Then when they traded him to Philly, they got – spare parts that are no longer on the team, 
Ben Simmons, who'd be better off, they'd be better off if he weren't on the team, and two first rounders. It was a pittance compared to what they traded away to get him. And I haven't even gotten into the, you know, the other moves that he's made. But, you know, Sean Marks and Joe Sy, the owner of the team, I think Sean Marks has a lot more to answer for than than certainly Jacques Vaughn did. Yeah. What are your thoughts on that, World B? Yeah, I, I don't know how long, um, how much of a rope Sean Marks gets uh, at this point. I don't know why. Um, I, you know, I looked at at Christmas, the Nets were fifteen and fifteen, a five hundred team, same, you know, without all the guys that Bruce just mentioned, all the superstars, and they've won six and eighteen cents. Lousy, lousy record, no question about it. But you look here are the teams that they've lost to during that stretch. Milwaukee, Washington, Oklahoma City, which they turn around and beat. The Pelicans, the Rockets, who they turn around and beat later. Portland twice. Cleveland twice. Miami, the Clippers, the Knicks, the Timberwolves, the Suns, the Warriors, the Mavericks, and the Celtics twice. There's about, of the 18 losses, you could really point to four that are probably bad losses in terms of opponents. So, yep. I mean, there's 14 of those teams that are really, really good. That's a killer schedule to go to deal with since Christmas in just 24 games. So losing by 50 points is not is not good for your uh, resume at any time. So, and if you're going to make a deal or a move like this, you do it. This is the time to do it. You got some days before you start up again, get, all, get it out of the system, get everybody, you know, get the mindset right. But I really don't know what they expected from Jack Vaughn to do in this spot with that run that they had. They're only a game and a half out of playing uh, field, by the way. There's, you know, they're just behind the Hawks, who some nights look great, some nights look like they're one of the worst teams in the league. So it's not as if getting to a play-in would be impossible. This is a rebuilding team, or so I'm told. This is a rebuilding process. Well. You take you suffer some bad losses along the way, so I don't understand the decision. And if you look at the team they have on there, how much do you expect out of this team? Yeah, I think there's still a lot of questions that are yet to be answered. One thing that did come to uh, light in in tweets that were um, presented after the firing was Shams uh, actually said that a lot of Jock Vaughn's offense heading into the season was centered around Ben Simmons who had played a total of 12 games so far this season. Now, when I read a tweet like that, I don't instantly just start criticizing Jacques Vaughn. I want to know how much of that actually came from the front office. Like, listen, we got to try to make this work. We got to look, we got, we got to make him look better. Like start running the offense through him. So there's a lot of things. I guess what I'm trying to say is there's a lot of things behind the scenes here to where we're not going to have a clear picture of it, but what, what was clear is Cam Thomas, who's been playing outstanding basketball the last 10 to 15 games, Prior to that, he was kind of in and out of the rotation, coming off the bench, playing sparingly. He's been an outspoken voice all season long and hasn't really held things back about not knowing kind of where he stood within that rotation on the team. And you got to think maybe that and and some other guys, maybe even Spencer Dinwiddie, who was obviously traded to Toronto and then let go. Uh, How many guys maybe just weren't too bought into to, to the leadership of Jacques Vaughn, but uh, certainly do not. I agree with you, uh, World B. I certainly do not think this is all just Jacques Vaughn's doing. As far as by, fall, by fall. the way, if your whole decision process or part of your decision process 
is because of Cam Thomas. You're you're you've already you know sealed your fate as a franchise. Yeah. I know he's scoring points, but Cam Thomas. I'm sorry, you're not winning with Cam Thomas on your roster being your head guy. He's a chucker of the highest order, and that's all he does. You look yeah. at his assist numbers. You look, he is a chucker, which is fine, but you're not winning with that. Yeah, no, great for a fantasy team though. That's sure. For sure. Yeah. <laughs> But anyways, we'll move on here. Let's get to our first half and recap All-Star Weekend in Indiana. Uh, the action kicked off with the Rising Stars game on Friday night where the Pacers' own sophomore guard, Benedict Matherin, went on to win MVP in his home arena, leading Team Jalen to victory over Team Detlef. And I don't know about you guys, but I definitely always enjoy seeing a player from the host city take home some hardware if it's warranted. So big kudos to Matherin. There And then All-Star Saturday night, we started off with the Skills Challenge. Team Pacers, which was made up by Tyrese Halliburton, Benedict Matherin, and Miles Turner, defended their home court, taking home the hardware. And this is now the third consecutive time the home team hosting All-Star Weekend has won the Skills Challenge. As last year, the Team Jazz won it in Utah, and then the year prior, the Team Cavs won it in Cleveland. So, fun fact for you all there at home. And then we got to the dunk contest. And in the dunk contest, Mac McClung won his second straight NBA dunk contest, becoming only the fifth player in NBA history to do it. However, I do want to add to this, guys. Of the seven time or of the seven multi-time winners, McClung has played 124 fewer games than any of them at the time of their second win. So McClung has played in just four NBA games to date. And uh, Bruce, I'll start with you. What What's your thoughts on uh, G leaguers now being a major part of the dunk contest? Well, um, I guess it's okay. I mean, but I just want to talk about Mac McClung okay. <laughs> because he is listed at six, two. He was absolutely electric, absolutely electric. He jumped over two guys on one of his dunks then he jumped over Shaq in his final dunk. His vertical is absolutely insane. His head was even with the rim, okay? I don't know what that translates into vertical leap inches, but it was it was just like other otherworldly. And when he did that catch and release dunk on another one, oh, that was nasty. He didn't even get high marks for that one, but I like that one a lot because it was different. Um but yeah, I mean, I have a couple more thoughts, but I, you know, hopefully we can circle back for another round here. But Mac yeah. McClung is, you know, amazing. World B, do you have any thoughts on it? See any catch any of the highlights if you didn't watch it live? Uh, he uh, he was a deserving winner. I thought it wasn't um, a difficult um, difficult contest to judge as far as who who was the best one of the group. He was. To me, clearly the best one. Um, yeah, it's good to see. You want something different, and he's different. And he, he has both in creativity, both in size. It's it was a you know good thing to see, and you know hopefully he can stick around at least in the G League to keep coming back for more. He makes he makes that night. He's one of the interesting sideline side notes for that evening. And Bruce, I saw that uh, Jalen Brown, when he put on that glove, that was actually to honor Michael Jackson, who's from Gary, Indiana. I don't think he sold it well enough, but that was kind of clever. No, it was clever. And also, bad job by TNT missing his first dunk, okay? Yes. I mean, yes. <laughs> you know, they were coming out of something. I don't know if it was a commercial or a bump or something, but I'm like, 
what? <laughs> you know, because you heard the real. So, yeah, he didn't sell it well. But here's the thing. The slam dunk contest has become really underwhelming to me. Everybody's jumping over people now. All right. How many ways are there to dunk a ball at this point? We've seen pretty much everything there is to see over the years. So here's my suggestion on how to make this better. One way to make this more exciting is for there to be a height limit and make it more of a smaller players competition. I'd say 6'5 and under should be in the slam dunk competition because then those guys will, you know, because to see somebody like 6'8, 6'9 dunk, even if they're jumping over somebody is like, meh. But to see 6'5 guys or 6'4 or even Mac McClung or, you know, the next, you know, Spud Webb, that to me would make that much more fun to watch. Well, I, I got to add this though. Can we all agree we can make an exception for Wemby? If Wemby wants to do it, he's in. Yeah, Wemby can do it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, 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 down, I'm down with that. I want to how see many, that. How many dunks are we going to see where he doesn't leave the floor, though? <laughs> how, many, how much originality can you have when you don't leave the floor? I mean, maybe he'll be like Dwight Howard and uh, maybe high, high the hoop the, yeah, yeah, it'll be yeah. like 14 feet in the air. Now, if he can double it, he can get up to 20 and, and <laughs> oh. pull it. Then, you know, then you got the all timer. Yeah. The only time that I really enjoyed people jumping over things was the year that Blake Griffin jumped over the Kia. That, that one was, was pretty <laughs> memorable. Was yeah. That was you need bigger cool. names in the, in the contest. Jalen Brown, you know, wh whatever you may have thought of, his dunking or whatever that night. You need names in this. To, Zach Levine was a name, at least, you know, by the time he got there. Aaron Gordon, you had heard of him. These are guys you knew of by the time they got there. Obviously, way back when you had Kobe participating, you had Jordan and Dominique and all that. But you need some names in there. Um, I like I like uh, Top in there, but – Obi Toppin's brother is not a name. It's, <laughs> yeah. it's, that's, that, that doesn't go on your resume. That's a, as far as you know accomplishments. So he did a good job. I, I don't, you know, he had uh, maybe the best dunk of, of the whole uh, competition. But you want somebody to be interested. You got to get some uh, name recognition in this event. Yeah, I agree with you, World B. And along those same lines, though, I want to give credit to Jalen Brown for participating. I mean, yeah. this guy signed a max deal this summer. He's obviously not doing it for the money. Um, so uh, kudos to him for being the name of all the guys Absolutely. that did participate. And hopefully that will uh, somehow help the contest moving forward. Now, heading on to the three-point contest. Of course, uh, I kind of spoiled it in my opening tip. Damian Lillard, a.k.a. Dame Dalla became the back-to-back -back three point champ an exciting final round as he buried the last shot of the last rack to defeat Trey Young. And Dame stated afterwards that he didn't hadn't been practicing off a rack prior to the event that he just showed up to defend his title. So, I'd say that's pretty impressive, wouldn't you say, Bruce? Yeah, it's impressive. Uh but the whole three-point shootout was overshadowed by the Steph versus Sabrina three-point oh, yeah. shootout. Oh yeah. So, so so next year why not put Sabrina in the regular three-point shootout with those Ooh. guys? She showed she could hit from NBA range. Yeah, she's going to use the smaller WNBA ball, but that's okay. She's got smaller yep. hands, right? Yep. Uh, next year, put her in there. Come on, Adam Silver. Are you listening? Yeah, can we add uh, Caitlin Clark to World B? Do you like that idea? Absolutely. I'm, I'm all for that. By the way, it didn't surprise me to hear, based on how he shot during the first half of the season, that Dame Lillard didn't exactly practice for <laughs> – 
in the three-point shootout. I, I think his numbers in the first half bear that out pretty well. Um, so my little cheap shot of the day at, at, at his expense. But, no, I, I that's my favorite event uh, of the whole weekend, including Sunday, is the three-point shootout. They continue to tweak it with different things and different points awarded or whatever. I'm an old fart at this, but I here's the ball. I put it in the basket. That's a point. Yep. That's it. whoever gets the most makes the most shots should win the thing. It's uh, and that's why I like it. I mean, it's you know, there's no goofing around on it. You gotta you gotta make the shot, and that's that's what I enjoy about that event. And when you get somebody on a roll, like when Steph has done it in the past, and Dame's you know last two years, when you get somebody on a roll, it's really special. Yeah. And uh, going to that Sabrina and Steph matchup, obviously that was easily the highlight and hopefully a new crossover that's here to stay. I think that's great for both leagues, both the NBA and WNBA to kind of get that exposure. Um, and uh, I think at the very least, if, if they're not going to, I like your idea, Bruce, but if, at the very least, if they're not going to include WNBA players in the actual competition, Whoever wins the year prior, so probably Dame Lillard, just so we don't have to expect Curry to be there every year to do it. Damian Lillard next year should have to, to either go against Sabrina or even Caitlin Clark in a head-to-head uh, -head matchup. That was what I wanted to see more than anything else on Saturday night, and it over-delivered, which is the only thing all weekend that really over-delivered, in my opinion. <laughs> it had like this battle of the sexes vibe, and only Steph Curry – could have pulled it off in such a classy manner, you know, from the NBA side of things. I mean, Sabrina's just a freaking badass, right? I mean, shooting from the NBA three-point line, and she had him on the ropes. I yep. mean, when she put 26 up on the board, you're like, hmm, okay. Uh, so I just hope it wasn't a one-off. And, and kudos to Steph, who, like Jalen Brown in the slam dunk, exposed himself to some ridicule had he not been able to, you know, do well and and um, it was just exciting. And the respect that he showed her and that they had between each other. And, oh, by the way, listening to Sabrina talk to uh, to Ernie and, uh, you know, Ernie Johnson, like, she is super impressive as a human being. She just really is. Yeah, no question about it. Now, going into our All-Stars uh, game on Sunday, the East and West was back. And uh, first things first, World B, how do you feel about that? Do you like that? Uh, traditional East and West better than Team Giannis versus Team LeBron? Oh, it gave me a warm fuzzy to see that on the scoreboard. <laughs> <laughs> it's fine. I did, it didn't matter to me one way or the other. It didn't matter to me the previous year when years passed when he drafted and all that. It's fine. It, uh, I mean, honestly, I preferred East West. Um, but uh, I'm, you know, probably like Bruce, I'm old school. I go back to you know, baseball, American League, National League. I know it changes up. It's a little bit different, but I like it that way. But certainly uh, that was the least of my concern, my criticisms over of the uh, game in the recent years. And Bruce, one thing that I noticed and certainly missed this year was there was no Elam ending to the game. It was just a traditional 48-minute game. What are your thoughts on the uh, NBA pulling that away? Um, yeah, it would have been better to have something like that because it was just awful. I mean, yeah. it was, it was awful. I mean, 
I got a story that I have to relate here. Okay. Okay. <laughs> My buddy, the great ESPN analyst, Tim Legler, once told me a story about a former teammate that didn't play very much. So he kept track of how much he scored in the pregame layup line. Okay. Legs said that, said that one night this teammate was bragging to him, said, hey, I had 47 in the layup line tonight. Now, I'm not quite sure how this guy had an odd number of points in the layup line uh, with no three-pointers or free throws, but I digress. All right. I just love the story. In watching Sunday night's joke of an all-star game, though, I thought of that story because the defense defense in this game was about as intense as the defense in that layup line. Yeah. In a game where almost 397 points were scored, well, not almost, where 397 points were scored between the two teams, there were a total of three, count them, three personal fouls committed in the entire game, okay? Two by the West and one by the East. A total of five three free throws were taken. The teams combined to shoot 56% from the floor. It wasn't real basketball, and it wasn't entertaining. It was a glorified layup line. It was garbage. Yeah, no, I simply put it was, and uh, certainly don't see an end in sight with this game. I don't know how they can uh, go about making these changes. Will be, do you have any ideas outside of probably your smart comment of just get rid of the game? <laughs> um, I mean, I, they can have it if they want. It's yeah. not going to make me care. Yeah. I mean, if the two things I, I have to say on this is, A, I agree with you. The Elam ending was one of the few things – left that was uh interesting about about the game i texted you guys you know over the weekend to somebody text me when they get to the fourth quarter i didn't realize they had gotten rid of it so text me when they get to the fourth quarter so i'll watch i started to watch the beginning of the game and it took about three minutes for me to just <laughs> decide on uh, maybe there's a good test pattern on tv i can watch it bring more excitement <laughs> um it's very simple it's it's really simple if the players aren't going to care if you have the best players in the world, the best collect, there is no doubt with international and NBA, you know, uh, U.S. players, you have the greatest collection of talent in the world, and you can't get them to care. Well, why am I going to care? I mean, yeah. I, I don't care. If you don't care, I'm not going to care. And what do we talk about with the in-season tournament? Why was it a success? Because they cared about it. You can yep. tell the excitement, and the players were into it. That made it exciting. That's the only way these things are going to work is if the players, you know, give a crap. Players didn't give a crap about it. I'm not going to give a crap. It's as simple as that. I can find something else to watch on a Sunday if you're not going to give me a reason to watch. Just watching you guys in the intro doesn't do it for me. Yeah. No, good points there. And uh, in the end, uh, one of the things that I certainly wanted to bring up here with you guys here today is, of course, uh, who won MVP as Damian Lillard edged out Tyrese Halliburton for game MVP honors. And even as the Bucks fan here on this podcast, I'm not so sure I agree with the voting as Dame received seven of the 12 votes with the other five votes going in favor of Halliburton. So I would have certainly voted for Halliburton. Here's why Damian Lillard scored 39 points. He shot 14 of 26 from the field, 11 of 23 from downtown had three rebounds, six assists. As for Halliburton, the hometown hero, 32 points on 11 of 15 shooting, so 11 less shots, 10 of 14 from downtown, seven rebounds, and also put up six assists. So what am I missing here? I mean, 
do you agree with me or or do you think Dame was uh warranted to to win the the honors just because of the uh the resume and past all-star games and this being his first MVP award? Bruce should have been should have been Tyrese. I mean, no question about it. Not to mention the fact that it was on his home court, right? Yes. I mean, a lot of times that should have definitely swung it in his favor, although just based on the numbers and the fact that he got them out of the box just by like, you know, throwing darts in that first quarter. Yeah. He got them off to a bit. You know, he was definitely more valuable than Dane. Will be? I was surprised that he didn't get it. I mean, it's as simple as that. I, I he put up he put up the numbers that are MVP worthy, I suppose, in a you know, 900 point game. And, <laughs> and, you know, you, you put up the numbers, he's not just scoring, but his shooting numbers, like Bruce said, playing on your home court there, there, it's not like it's unprecedented to give the hometown guy who performs well, the MVP there's, you know, you go, go look through the record books. It's littered with those situations, which becomes a good moment for the league. That's another thing, you know, that looks good on the league. I remember when Tom Chambers, with the Sonics back in the day was a late addition to the, to the uh, all-star game and he ends up being MVP. Yep. And uh, go ahead. No, oh, no, I'm, I'm sorry. I don't want to be a total Debbie downer here. So I thought the led floor was kind of cool with the changing images and the colors and the graphics, <laughs> although it kind of gave them like this kind of green, weird looking hue on some of the events. But I think the NBA should save it for events like the All-Star Game and not even consider using it for normal games. Maybe for the in-season tournament, they could do some version of it, which I think would be better than what those awful floors were that yes. they had. You know, But uh, I really thought that was a very creative move. So I want to end my All-Star bashing, at least with a positive note about that. Yeah, no question about that. I agree there. Now, I have a couple of questions lined up for uh, you guys here. And the first one is for you, World B. And you had mentioned at the top in your opening tip about LeBron uh, in his uh, pregame All-Star weekend comments. And one of the things he had talked about is being 50-50 on whether or not he wants a farewell tour. Come on. like, What did you think of those comments? Do you think LeBron James is going to want a farewell tour? Or do you think he'll walk away like Tim Duncan and not uh, you know, really announce it to his fan base the year prior? Well, anybody who doesn't think he wants a uh, final tour, final go around, uh, signify that by standing on your head. Uh, it's, 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 of course he wants it. That's yeah. that's the kind of person. And there's nothing wrong with that, by the way. Fans want it. I'm yep. sure. Fans exactly. want it. Fans want yeah. to see it. So what's, there's no problem. He, I, I, don't, I don't know how much thought he's given it to it yet. Somebody raised a question, so he said he's – he, I guess he's given it some thought. He says he's 50-50 on it, but no, of course he's going to want to do that. And the NBA wants him to do that. The NBA yes. will market that for all it's worth, which is fine. It's And given his numbers, I mean, this could still be years away if he chooses. We were, we're I doesn't look like we're anywhere close to his last season coming up. Yep. Yeah, yep. And uh, Bruce, quick one here for you. As I saw this tweet come through from Bill Simmons, obviously uh, – a big hardcore Celtic fan, much like yourself. He had tweeted about Larry Bird meeting Jason Tatum, and it seemed like from the tweet that was the first time those two have ever met. Can you confirm or deny that? Do you know if that's true? It seems weird. That I've, I've read the same thing too, and I also read something kind of interesting today 
where some Celtics fans were blaming Rick Patino of all people for that happening. Now you have to follow this a little bit. Okay. When Rick Patino was there and things weren't going well. You'll recall that he said, you know, in the Patino game that our pal Amin El Hassan likes to play, Larry Bird's not walking through that door. Well, you know what? Larry Bird did not walk through that door probably since then. Okay. And I think the Celtics organization uh, never really did a great job of sort of making amends with Larry so that he could become back into the family, so to speak. Okay. So, yeah, from what I understand, that was the first time they met. And it's a shame. And I would love to see Larry Bird come back into the Celtics family in some way, shape, or form. And Rick Patino, I mean, bad job in Boston. Bad job right now at St. John's. I don't know if you guys heard what he said about his team over the weekend. Was, That's absolute yeah. BS. But not, not surprising. You don't do that. I know. I don't, don't disagree. No, don't do I'm it. saying it's not. It was not surprising considering who said it. Right. Yep. Well, with that, we've gone ahead and reached our halftime buzzer. So we're going to take a quick break and come back with you for the second half. And we're back for our second half. And let's go ahead and take a look into the second half of the NBA season. Now, first thing I wanted to address with you guys is: is there a team out there? that you think will peak at the right time here in the second half of the season. Bruce? Uh, I would say, you know, you got to watch out for Phoenix, okay? Uh, because once Bradley Beal became fully integrated back into their lineup, they've done really well. I mean, they're currently sitting in fifth place, but they're kind of lurking. They're just kind of there. Yep. And uh, so, yeah, I, I, I look for Phoenix to make a move. What about you, World B? You going to say the Magic? No, I I'll <laughs> save the magic for 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 another uh, time. Another day. Um, <laughs> I I'm interested to see what the Clippers have down the stretch. They're starting to get some serious talk. We were talking about them last week about you know being NBA title contenders now, and I want to see how they respond the rest of the year, how healthy they can stay the rest of the year, and I want to see if the Timberwolves have the same power. Timberwolves and the Thunder have the same power to. Uh, continue the way they've been doing because in the West I have a team that I'm going to mention in my closing thought about uh, somebody to watch for, but those two teams at the top, we keep expecting one of them. Like, oh, they're not going to, they're not going to last that long. They don't have, you know, that kind of uh, pedigree to do that. I want to see if they, if they can do it the you know, long-term the rest of the season, at least. Yeah. No, only time will tell with that one. As for mine, mine is the Golden State Warriors. Uh, obviously, we had just uh, broadcasted a game of the Warriors on Playback TV before uh, All-Star Weekend, and we saw um, them crumble down the stretch against the Los Angeles Clippers in a game they had, uh, it seemed like, the entire way. And, and then they blew a 16-point lead. But uh, they bounced back quite well in that makeup game in Utah with Clay Thompson coming off the bench and uh, being very vocal about accepting that role off the bench. And uh, they're a team I'm keeping a, a, an eye out on. I just think, uh, of course, uh, with Draymond Green back in the fold and uh, a healthy Steph Curry, I think anything is possible here. And uh, I think with uh, Steve Kerr kind of running that ship and, and all the experience they have, we, we definitely can't take them lightly because they can get hot in a hurry with the shooters that they have on that team. 
You know, another team that I would kind of keep an eye on is Sacramento. They're currently mm. sitting in eighth place, but I could see this team having a nice closing kick. They're a solid road team. They're 16 and 14, and they have six more home games than road games on their schedule the rest of the way. And they're a good home team as well. Their next five games aren't going to be easy. They have the Spurs, Clippers, Heat, Nuggets, and Wolves. But after the Wolves game on March 1st, the rest of their March schedule eases up with 12 of their following 16 games at home. So I could see uh, Sacramento maybe not moving up into the top four, but getting themselves right where they're playing good ball and perhaps starting to peak at the proper time. Yeah, and that'd be a lot of fun to see Sacramento get hot as we know their fan base is one of the best in sports as far as just the excitement and hype they bring to each game with their cowbells. So playoff time in Sacramento would be fun to see yet again. Now, as far as players to watch, Bruce, is there anyone that comes to mind that you're keeping an eye out in the second half? I want to see if Chris Middleton could get himself healthy. I mean, you know, yeah. Milwaukee has really struggled, as you mentioned at the beginning. They've lost seven of their previous ten. Uh, and once play resumes in a couple days, eight of their next ten are on the road, including a four-game, you know, roadie in, on the West Coast in early March. Right now they're closer to fifth than they are to second, okay? And they need to get their mojo back. And in order for them to get their mojo back, they need Chris Middleton performing – and doing Chris Middleton things. So I'm keeping an eye on him and I want to see if he can get healthy. Cause if he is, um, that's obviously puts Milwaukee back into the mix to maybe come out of the East. No doubt. Will be. Uh, I want to stay with the bucks for a second. First thing first, I want Julius Randall. I want to see him get healthy as quick as possible to see. I want to see how this Knicks team does with a full, Full roster after all the deals they've made, OGN and OB. I want to see these guys get healthy. So that's what I'm looking to, you know, from a health standpoint, I'd love to see those guys really get straight and see just how good this Knicks team uh, is. Uh, but I'm going to say with the Bucks here, although I, I totally agree with Bruce on Middleton, they need his, uh, they need that third player in that mix. I, I want to see Dane Lillard play like Dane Lillard. You can't, you can't be going around shooting 33% from three-point range and expect the Bucks to be serious contenders. He's got to step it up. He wanted to go to a contender. They brought him in. He wants, you know, the Bucks want him to be the man. He's, you know, Giannis is having one of the best seasons of his career. People don't realize it. His best, he's having one of the best seasons of his career, shooting-wise and everything. He is absolutely dominating. But it doesn't show up if your other guy is hot one night and cold the next. That's not. Dame Lillard's not there to be hot one night, cold one, you know, another night. He's there to have a month where he shoots 40 something percent from three, averages almost 30 a game. And that's going to get the Bucks going. It, they need Middleton, I agree, but he's got to play better. He just has to. And uh, maybe the All Star game's a springboard to something good for them. Yeah, that's the glass, glass half full approach there for uh, Bucks fans out there. Hopefully this can uh, be some momentum he can ride into the second half. As for my guy, I'm going back to LeBron James, just trying to get our LeBron James count on the podcast uh, up in this episode. So I want to see if he can turn it on for the uh, second half of the year. Obviously, he's had a a pretty solid uh, campaign so far this year, but uh, does he have another burst in him to try to – be sure that the the Los Angeles Lakers solidify one of the uh, 
top playing spots. So it's not a, a win or go home scenario. I think that's going to be super important to this older team that, uh, you know, they can kind of avoid that single game elimination in the nine and 10 spot. Um, so I certainly want to look at uh, LeBron James and, and the effort that he can provide and the energy he has for the second half of the season. Also, given the fact that he didn't really get a break again, yet again, I should say, for All-Star Weekend. I mean, he was out in Indiana taking part in all the festivities. And sure, there's a few days off now. But given his age and just the amount of years he's been doing this, I think he would have preferred to have a full week off. You know, the All-Star break came at a bad time for LeBron and the Lakers because they had won six out of seven heading into the break. And they were building up a little bit of a head of steam, just three and a half games out of the sixth spot. Okay. Uh, so I think, you know, now they're going to have to like start it up again when they had been rolling along pretty well for like a couple of weeks prior to the break. Yeah, absolutely. No, we'll definitely have to keep an eye on if they can keep that momentum moving after All-Star Weekend. And that's one of the fun parts coming back into uh, the second half of the year is you kind of very quickly in the first couple of games figure out who was working out during All-Star break and who wasn't. Who's been in Cabo? Who wasn't? It, it, it's pretty clear, and I'm sure we'll see some uh, some shocking uh, win-loss results uh, as we <laughs> kick things off on Thursday into the weekend. I'm sure there's going to be a few upsets just with guys trying to get back into gear. But for those teams that uh, had their star players still focused on basketball and you know at least working out, I think uh, they'll be in decent shape. So um, that's a positive going for the Lakers with AD and LeBron having been in Indiana. But uh, with that, let's go ahead and get to our final thoughts here. And uh, Bruce, I'll start with you. Okay. Um, in recent years, many NBA big men have died prematurely due to complications with their hearts. Wilt Chamberlain died of a heart attack in 1999 at the age of 63. And in more recent years, Daryl Dawkins, Moses Malone, Jack Haley, Caldwell Jones, and, and others also died in their 50s and early 60s. All of these guys were six foot 10 inches or taller. Now, while the reasons for their heart issues are not 100% certain, the fact that their bodies are so large requires their hearts to work harder, and when they retire and they're less well-conditioned, complications can result. But this weekend, what looked like another sad story turned into a very happy one. 6'11", Scott Pollard, was suffering from a genetic condition that caused his heart to beat an extra 10,000 times a day, okay? Jeez. But on Friday, the 49-year-old former Kansas Jayhawk, who played for four NBA teams, received a heart transplant and is apparently doing well. While there's no guarantee that heart transplant recipients will live into their 70s and 80s, let's hope that Scott Pollard defies the odds and lives a long and happy life. Rock Chalk Jayhawk, indeed. Well said there, Bruce. And yeah, our thoughts go out to Scott Pollard. I think uh, I think it was episode maybe 73. I, I dedicated one of our, our podcasts to, to Scott Pollard uh, for the episode numbers. So uh, definitely has a special spot here on the 48 Minutes podcast. World B? Oh, thank you, Ross. Uh, you mentioned uh, earlier, just a few minutes ago, uh, about the Golden State Warriors as one of the teams to uh, watch for. And that, and that is the team I'm going to focus on here with my closing thought. Uh, they are currently in 10th place in the West, but they are improving and they are looking like a team that to me is the one team I want to see more than any other 
in the second half of the season and see if they can get into the playoff field and avoid the play-in altogether. It won't be easy, but with the Western Conference, the field is getting more and more set as far as which teams are going to be in the in the postseason group. And I texted you guys a couple uh, last week about the two teams I'm you got to pay attention to the rest of the season. In my eyes, were the Lakers and the Warriors. The Lakers, the Warriors are starting to play their defense the way we remember they're playing the defense during the championship years. They have the best clutch player in the game in Steph Curry, who why he's not getting more MVP talk, I really have no idea. He's literally carrying that team offensively. And they're getting, as uh, Bruce mentioned, as you mentioned, Ross, they're getting real production from Draymond Green. The offense is really producing when Draymond Green is on the court offensively. We expect it on defense, but they are really dominating with him on the court offensively. This team has a lot of road games down the stretch, but they also have some games against the Lakers. They play the Lakers three more times before the end of the year. And on top of that, they have to go to Boston. They have to go to Minnesota. It won't be easy. But overall, against of the top 12 teams in the West, they have the easiest remaining schedule. So there is an opportunity for them to move up. That's a team I think fans need to pay attention to, even though they're out West. Try and stay up and, and uh, look at the boss scores at least, because I think you're going to see that team climb up and possibly make that playoff field. Yeah, no, we definitely have to keep an eye on them. And I'll certainly be watching those games for you guys if uh, – you got to you got to hit the hay. But uh, before I get to my opening or my final thought, uh, I could segue on this, and, and I failed to mention this, but the alternative broadcast to uh, the All Star Game featured Charles Barkley and Draymond Green. And uh, Bruce, since you are our, our former producer here on the show, were you surprised TNT stuck with Draymond doing that after what's transpired this year, or do you think that was still just great alternative content to to provide to allow Draymond Green that opportunity? I think he's under some sort of contract with TNT, isn't he? I mean, he was he was on be. their shows, and yeah. I think there there may be some kind of you know financial arrangement there. Don't quote me on that, but I know he did do work for them recently. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I mean, look, they certainly weren't putting it on the main broadcast, but no. you know, to put it on the secondary broadcast, I mean, that's fine. I mean, look, you know, Draymond. One thing about Draymond, you know, I mean, there's no filter. No, no filter at all. <laughs> World B, any thoughts on Draymond having uh, a featured featured cast on TV after just the season it's been? Uh, while I understand he's probably under contract, I, yeah, I I agree with Bruce there on that. I'm sure that had something to do with it. Um, I mean, I guess I would have actually had to watch it to, to make a comment <laughs> on it, but I uh, – <laughs> um, he to me he's okay on on the air. I don't have a necessarily have a problem with him. I do see a future for him in oh for sure in that field when he yep. when the time comes or whatever. Um, given the season that he's had, I'm surprised a little that they couldn't. I'm surprised they put him out there as you mentioned that in that situation. Whether he has a under contract or not, I'm sure they if they wanted him off there, they could have worked something out. And so listen, th- this isn't the right time. We've been through a lot. We don't need this attention. Turns out the NBA needed as much attention to get away from the on-court thing as possible. So maybe they need him on the broadcast. 
Yeah. It was no, kind of funny. It was kind of funny that that Chuck was like bashing San Francisco, which oh, yeah. you know, I think he was sort of needling Draymond a little bit. And oh, by the way, next year's All-Star game is at the Chase Center. Nice. Yeah, I'm sure yeah. that went over well with Adam Silver as well. Well, he wasn't too thrilled, by the way, at the end of the game where he basically said, yeah, you guys scored more points. Congratulations. I mean, yeah. it, well, there's a lot of reports saying that he was very unhappy with how that game played out. And because he looked foolish after talking about leading up to the week, the game, talking about how he thought it was going to be more competitive. He wanted more competitive. And he thought that it would be. Well, yeah, he ended up with egg on his face and having to go up. I'm sure he was embarrassed by having to go up there and be the face of of the game when it was all said. No, uh, absolutely, I'm sure he was upset about it. Yeah, as we and all that, were. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you weren't. You were watching Griselda on Netflix. Yeah. I, was, I I may have actually been asleep at that point. <laughs> Well, uh, speaking of alternative broadcasts, I wanted to bring that up here because we are going to be back on Playback TV on Thursday night, and we're going to have a little twist for you this time. This is a League Pass watch, so if you want to watch a League Pass game for free, be sure to check us out, 48 Minutes Live on Playback TV. We're going to be broadcasting the 9 p.m. Eastern time, Charlotte Hornets at Utah Jazz team. And before you guys go, oh, come on, those two teams – I think there's a lot to look at. I think there's a lot to look forward to with these two teams. You've got a Charlotte team that's really brought in a guy like Trey Mann, who's playing outstanding basketball. Brandon Miller has hit his stride. As certainly the stats he's putting up now are rookie of the year conversation type numbers. And uh, they Charlotte looks a lot better with Grant Williams. I mean, this is a team that's playing much more competitive basketball, and I can't wait to break that down with my two colleagues here in Bruce and World B. And then you look at Utah, they're still in the play-in mix. I mean, they're, uh, what are they now? They are two and a half. Two and a half back, but uh, they've got a lot of tools on that team. They got a guy like Walker Kessler uh, coming off that bench, leading the league in blocks. There's a lot to discuss with these two teams. I know I'm excited. World B, you got to be excited too, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm I'm fine watching, uh, spending time watching and talking about the Hornets on the one hand after you know, after they responded to my uh, calling them the embarrassment of the league a few <laughs> few episodes ago, uh, yeah. which I was not wrong, by the way. Yeah. Um, and Utah is in the mix. They, you know, I mentioned how the West is shaping up, the field is shaping up, but they're on the outside looking in, but they're not that far out. They have an opportunity to, uh, to catch up. It won't be easy because they got some tough games down the stretch, but it's there. Yep. Ross, Ross, nice, nice job using the end of this show to create some buzz for that game. Nice. Yep. And it will be a Utah's buzz. First, Utah's first two games out of the shoot, Hornets and Spurs at home. You want to get back. You want to start the second half the right way. That's a good way to go about it. And, speak, and speaking of buzz, Bruce, we are going to have the Charlotte Hornets broadcast for that game. So everyone's going to get to enjoy Eric Collins on the Eric call. Collins. So we're going to have some fun with that. So be sure to check us out 48 minutes live on playback.tv. We'll go ahead and send the links out to that on social media. But for now, this will do it for this edition of the 48 minutes podcast. By Believe, presented by Bet Online. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll be back with you next week to be sure you're up to date in 48 on all things around the association. Take care, everybody.